The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of KSCJ Radio and should not be constructed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Inc. nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555. This is Money Guide with Mary Sterk from Sterk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Sterk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Sterk, and today we're talking about end-of-the-year tax tips. With me today, I have financial planner Julie Chadwick, and uh, Julie and I have both done some additional tax training this year and really have some good things for people to think about, so I'm excited to be talking about this. Right. Whenever it comes to taxes, there's always something new and uh, upcoming that we want to learn about, and right. any way we can help with strategies, that's always a good thing. You know, one common myth that is out there is that CPAs just do taxes and financial advisors just do investments, and the reality of the situation is that the best teamwork you can have is between your financial advisor and your CPA, because that's where the idea of tax strategy can be born. You know, if you can minimize your taxes and it allows you to keep more of your money or more of your investments in your own pocket, that's just good for you. Right. And no one's ever not happy about doing that. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I've never had someone say, gosh, I wish I would have paid more taxes last year. (laughs) Right. So we kind of consider this to be what's called a tax management journey, where when, when you think about the blending of your financial advising and your tax management, then that's where we really do have some areas of specialty because we do a lot of collaboration with people's CPAs, but also we do a lot of training on our own about tax strategy and how to implement that within our clients' portfolios. Right. One of the ways that we learned and we talked about in the program that we were in is the different funnels of money because mm-hmm. there's always different types of money that you have and it's they all are taxed different ways. So it's understanding the best ways to utilize them when you need them. Right. So the funnels of money that Julie's talking about are that there's basically three funnels and taxes are different when the money goes in, but taxes are also different when the money comes out of these funnels. So for instance, one of the funnels is the post-tax funnel, right? So you put your money into this post-tax funnel. It goes in without having taxes paid. So this might be like your traditional IRA or your 401k, But when it comes out of the funnel, you have taxes due. Right. right? So it's all deferred until you have to take it out. Exactly. Now you have the flip side of that, which is the pre-tax funnel, right? So the pre-tax funnel is going to be more tax favored. And that funnel is going to have taxes paid when you put the money into the funnel, like your Roth IRAs Mm -hmm. or your Roth 401ks. But when it comes out, what kind of tax do you pay? 
You don't have to pay any taxes on that. That is my favorite funnel. <laughs> we love that one. <laughs> exactly. And then there's a third funnel that people don't really think about. And this is more along the lines of preferential tax treatment. So the money that goes in is generally going to be money that you've already paid taxes on. This is going to be things like a brokerage account or a direct mutual fund account or something mm-hmm. like that. And when the money comes out, you have an opportunity not to pay ordinary income tax on it. You have an opportunity to potentially pay capital gains tax. And why do we like capital gains tax? That's usually less than what your regular ordinary income tax is. That's right. <laughs> There's it's a cap a on lower that. tax number. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we like it when we can save. Right. So these types of funnels that we're talking about, when you look at your investments, it plays into a strategy that's called tax-sensitive asset allocation. And tax-sensitive asset allocation means paying attention to where do you need your tax break this year? Do you need it when the money's going in? Or are you in a tax place where you don't necessarily, that maybe isn't as valuable to you? Right. And where do you want that tax ability to be when the money comes out? So each year as you're taking money out, how do you balance those things in your own tax strategy? And tax-sensitive asset allocation also plays into the idea that certain types of assets, because of their tax characteristics, might be better served inside those funnels. Right. And it's great when we can collaborate with your CPAs or your tax advisors because we understand, should we pay taxes now or pay taxes later? So it's good to collaborate and get that figured out for you. And so that's one of the tax tips that we want to talk about is why would anybody ever want to pay taxes now instead of later? You know, sometimes people kind of look at us with a deer in a headlight look when we're saying, well, maybe you should trigger those taxes now. Well, there's a couple of reasons why. One is that we do subscribe to the theory that taxes now are probably, in our opinion, as low as they might ever be. Right, because what happens with taxes every year pretty much all the time? <laughs> They're going up. <laughs> yeah, and we had this big tax bill that passed. And so last year, you know, and this year and next year, we're going to have preferential taxes. They're lower Mm -hmm. than they were before. What a lot of people don't realize is that that tax bill sunsets in, I believe, 2025 or 2026. Right. It was a 10-year plan. Yeah. And so with that, that means that we know unless something else changes, rates are going to go back up. Now, if at the next election, the same administration stays in, we probably won't see it revert before then. But if we have a change in administration, do we think taxes might be something on the table that'll go up? It's highly likely. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that means taxes might be at a lower rate now than what we'll see in the next 10, 15, 20 years, or maybe Mm -hmm. even for the rest of our lives. Who knows? We absolutely don't know. But if that's true, maybe it does make sense to trigger some taxes when you're in a good tax bracket or a lower tax bracket like you might be now. So we might want to look at it as like the taxes are on sale right now, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Tax clearance sale. Exactly. (laughs) Save your taxes while you can. So how would you go about triggering tax on something now? Well, you can do it inside of a strategy that's called a Roth conversion. So you can convert your traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. You can do it with all or part of IRA money that you have. And when you do that, generally speaking, the money that you do it with is subject to taxation at the time, and it's going to be at your ordinary income tax rate, okay? But a Roth conversion can make sense because it's taking money that will, after it grows, will be taxable, converting the amount now into something that when it grows going forward, coming out will not be taxable. So 
There's a couple caveats with Roth conversions, so. Right. There's a couple different moving parts. So sometimes with the normal Roth contributions, there's limitations on your income. Mm-hmm. But it also depends on if you're going to look at a Roth conversion, you have to understand what your whole IRA picture looks like. So it's, if right. you're going to look at all of it together, that's going to be a portion of what you have to do. So you have to, when you're converting, you're converting looking at it from all of your IRAs. So they there's some kind of complex formulas, especially if you have multiple IRAs that you have to pay attention mm-hmm. to. Can't really go into that on a radio show, but... Um, when when you come in and talk to us about if this strategy is for you, we can go more heavily into it. But here's the rub, is that for it to really be the most successful Roth conversion for you, you really should have cash on the sides to cover the taxes. If you're going to convert and you have to take the money out of the account in order to cover the taxes, it usually doesn't work very well. Like the math doesn't line up right. for it. It kind of ruins the whole purpose mm-hmm. of doing the Roth conversion for the tax savings because you're taking the savings that you would have gotten yeah. and you're using that to pay the taxes. And if you're pulling that money out to cover the taxes, all of a sudden you are going to have a 10% IRS premature penalty, you're which before. you're avoiding if you're just doing a straight conversion. So exactly. for a conversion to really work well for you, um, our strategy is that it usually only works if you have cash on the sidelines to cover it. Okay. So there's some unique pairing of things that people can do if they are doing Roth conversions. Because if you're going to do a Roth conversion, you are triggering tax now. So how could you kind of wash away some of that tax burden? And there are some unique things that you can do. So let's first of all talk about the standard deductions and whether itemizing still makes sense for people. Right. That was one of the biggest changes for people. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the new law says the standard deduction is now $24,400 for married couples filing jointly, and it's $12,200 for single filers, and these are the 2019 numbers, okay? It also places new limits on itemized deductions, including a $10,000 cap on property and state and local income tax deductions. All right, so taking the standard deduction makes your return a lot simpler, It makes tax preparers' lives a lot simpler. They're liking that part. (laughs) Yeah. So if you don't have itemized deductions, if you're married filing jointly, if you don't have itemized deductions above $24,000, then you're not doing anything except taking the standard deduction. So here's the thing. Let's say that you had the $10,000 on the property and state, you know, taxes. And let's say that you also contributed $10,000 to a charity. So there's $20,000. Well, you're still not even going to itemize because you're under that $24,000 deduction limit or standard deduction limit. So you effectively have kind of lost the fact that you're getting a deduction for charitable contributions because you would have got the standard deduction anyway. Right. So you just got, that's where you really need to sit down and figure out with your taxpayer which way is best for you. Right. Exactly. So here's the thing. Instead of just contributing $10,000 a year and really not getting any additional tax benefit for having done that, what if you stacked up your charitable deductions and lumped them together in one year? So let's say you knew you were going to give $10,000 a year to charity for the next 10 years. There's $100,000. There are investment tools and charitable tools called donor-advised funds that we help people with where you can take $100,000 and put it into a donor-advised fund in one year. So basically, you're lumping all your charitable deductions And then you have the eligibility now to get a $100,000 deduction in that year that you do it, and then taking standard deductions going forward. 
Right. And you don't have to distribute that right away either. That's what's nice about it. So you can leave that money sitting in there and determine each year how much you want to give to the charity of your choice. Exactly. So now you are are still giving the same amount of money, but you're maximizing the way that it's working on your taxes. You're still capturing the standard deduction, the full standard deduction, even in years where you're not Mm -hmm. contributing anything to charity because you lumped it all into one year. Now, there are limitations based on your income about how much you can do in one year, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to work through all those details, but it's how to maximize your standard deduction. Now, even better is when you pair this with a Roth conversion, right? So let's say you did a Roth conversion on something that triggers $100,000 of income. And in the same year, you do a donor advised fund and you put $100,000 into there for charity. Guess what? You got to watch, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So it's the strategic planning of how to utilize these things that are inside the tax code to minimize your taxes and to maximize the money that you do have. Okay, so when we come back, we're going to continue talking about end-of-the-year tax tips. Now, back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. Call 605-217-3555 or see them online at sterkfinancialservices.com for more information. Here's Mary Stirk. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about end-of-the-year tax tips. We've talked about some strategic planning. We've talked about tax-efficient funnels for your investments going in and the money coming out of them. Let's talk a little bit about maxing out some of those things. So, Julie, what are the limits for contributing to your 401k for 2019? For 2019, um, if you're under 50, it's $19,000. And if you're over 50, it's going to be $25,000. Right. And so here's the thing, this over 50 thing like this is your benefit for getting older. (laughs) Yay, I'm 50. I can put more in my 401k. (laughs) So you get to put more money away. Yep. It's called a catch-up contribution. And that's why you get to put a little bit more away. But it's, you know, you still have time between now and the end of the year to boost those contributions to try to max it out, to get the maximum either tax deduction if the money's going into the traditional 401k side, or if your 401k plan offers a Roth 401k, it's it's letting you stuff more money into something that mm-hmm. has the opportunity to come out tax-free later. So don't forget to max out your retirement plans. Now, for those of you who maybe are self-employed or are not working for an employer who has a retirement plan, Looking at what your other options are is a very strong idea, too. Now, a lot of times you can wait till the year is done and Mm -hmm. make contributions up until the time you file your taxes for certain types of plans, SEP plans, traditional IRAs, things like that. But pay attention to the best way for you to do it, because there are certain plans that require the contribution to be made during the calendar year. 401k plans, Mm -hmm. simple plans, things like that. Those have to be done by December 31st, right? Right. So don't miss that deadline if you're looking (laughs) for some type of tax break. Another deadline that you don't want to miss is making sure that if you are over age 70 and a half and you have a required minimum distribution due from your qualified money, like traditional IRA money, 401k money, things like that, if you don't take it, you're going to have a pretty significant penalty for not taking it. And Julie, what's the penalty number? That's a 50% penalty. Yes, you did not hear her wrong. 50%, five-o, <laughs> listeners. So uh, I don't know about you, but I consider that to be a pretty steep penalty. So why do we have minimum distributions? 
The IRS is wanting to make sure that they get all this pre-tax money that's never been taxed taxed before yep. you pass on. <laughs> that's exactly right. The, 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 the tax man has come a calling. Right. Now you've gotten to 70 and a half and they're saying, all right, you deferred your taxes on this long enough. Now we want a piece. So they do this calculation that says how much you need to take and then you have to take it. But there is one charitable strategy that you can use to avoid having that required minimum distribution hit your tax return. Right, because when you take that RMD, is what a lot of people call it, the required minimum distribution, that's taxes ordinary income. And a lot of people at that point in their life are not maybe necessarily needing that income. Mm -hmm. So a strategy that you can do is do a qualified charitable donation. So you can figure out what that calculation is that that the IRS is requiring you to do. And if this is your first distribution of the year, you can donate that to a charity directly. It will count as your required minimum distribution, yet it won't count as your income. Right. It'll bypass your tax return. And this is kind of a quirky little way that they do that. But the reality is it helps you for taxes. So if you don't need your R&D and you're charitably inclined, then you can do this. But caveat, like Julie said, it has to be the first one that has you do. To be, right. So that first been, distribution of the yeah, year. If you've been doing distributions during the year for yourself and then you want to do the QCD, the qualified charitable distribution, then you can't really set it up that way. But um, if you do do the planning, so a lot of times we see people do these right away in January, Mm -hmm. you know, take care of it then, um, then you can give it that way. We see a lot of people do this with their churches. So a lot of our clients are donating to their churches this way. Mm -hmm. So they know they're going to give to their church monthly, and it's about the same as what their RMD is. So they just give the distribution directly to the church right at the beginning of the year instead of making monthly or weekly contributions when they go. Right. And the key, like you said, is making the distribution straight to the charity, to the church or whatever. It has to go right to them. You can't take receipt of that. Otherwise, that's going to make it not work either. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Another end of the year tax strategy is using stock losses to offset capital gains. So one of the things that most people don't realize is towards the end of the year, Mutual funds, ETFs, things like that frequently will kick off capital gains. So this happens because let's say in your mutual fund, for example, maybe it owns 200 stocks and those stocks have uh, been bought and sold throughout the year. If they sell a stock inside the mutual fund and there's a big gain, then they can pass that gain then along to you as the mutual fund owner. Mm -hmm. So in any accounts that are non-qualified, meaning not IRA accounts, then any of the trading that's happened in your funds during the year, you could have a capital gain kick out. Now, usually they get kicked out sometime in the October, November, December timeframe. Right. So usually the fourth quarter of the year. Yep. And most people are caught unawares by this. They're not really paying attention to how much capital gains are getting kicked out. And you can even have mutual funds that have lost value during the year that are still kicking out capital gains distributions Mm -hmm. that are taxable for you. And that makes a person pretty angry when that happens. (laughs) (laughs) But it happens. It does happen. It can happen. And a lot of times people aren't you know, upset to see that their account has grown in value, but they're really just, like you said, caught off guard because they don't plan on that. You know, they've got all the different lists of things they need to take to their tax preparer. And this is one thing that we're usually seeing people get caught off guard on. So if you're paying attention or if your advisors are paying attention, then what they're looking for is large capital gains that have been triggered, which Mm -hmm. we can't do anything about that. When they're triggered, they're triggered. 
But what you need to be looking for is do you have underperforming assets in that account that have a loss in them? Because if you sell something for a loss, you might be able to wash out that gain and not create that taxable situation. Right, kind of offset it. So that's where the extra planning and preparation and paying attention to that is going to make a big difference for you. Exactly. So for our larger clients, that's something that we do look at every fall is has there been significant capital gains kicked off? And if so, what can we do to wash out those so that we minimize the tax impact? You also generally can deduct up to about 3000 of capital losses. It's $1,500 if you're married and filing separately, but married filing jointly is 3000 mm-hmm. And that can be something that those net capital losses then help your taxes, right? And if you have more losses than gains, it's, I guess you can, you can kind of think it like you're banking them. You right. can kind of hold them on your tax return and then use them each year to offset some of those gains. For years down the road, yep. Yeah. Now there's some methodology to the madness here. Short-term gains and losses have to wash each other. Long-term gains and washes have to, you know, wash each other and things like that. But at the end of the day, the washing the stock losses or using the stock losses to offset those capital gains is a smart strategy, especially for larger portfolios mm-hmm. or people who are in a higher tax bracket. Okay, now let's talk about something that you can do. It really isn't a tax play in terms of saving taxes for this year, but it's something that maybe will save estate taxes or income taxes down the road. And that is that you can make tax-free gifts to as many family members as you want to. And your family members will thank you for that over and over. I'm sure they will. <laughs> I don't think they're going to say, no, don't give me any money. So so what is the limit for 2019? You can give up to $15,000 per year, $30,000 for a married couple, like if they want to split it. So it's $15,000 right. a piece. So let's say that you have two children and you as the husband want to give each child 15000 The wife can give each child 15000 too. So that's what Julie's talking about, that you can actually get Mm $30,000 from a married couple to a child or to somebody in your family. And it's to each member too. Yes, exactly. So you could do it to children. You could do it to grandchildren, Mm -hmm. aunts, uncles, you know, cousins, things like that. And this is something that there's no tax uh, to you when you make the gift and there's no tax to them when they receive the gift. So it's one of the few things that you can do to transfer money like that which doesn't have a taxable impact. Mm -hmm. And that's why we wanted to at least mention it today. Okay, last thing that I want to talk about before we close for today is that some states allow you to get a small state tax deduction if you're funding a 529 plan. Right, those are educational accounts for children. Or actually, it's any age. I shouldn't say Mm -hmm. children because anybody can go to college at any age. So you can contribute to those at any age for people. And it's a way to – some of the states, like you said – have special tax favored strategies where they can help them out. So it'll be a deduction for you. Yeah, so you can make a gift of up to 15000 per beneficiary annually or 30000 again from a married couple electing to split the gifts without having to fill out the federal gift tax form. You also might have the option to contribute up to five years worth of gifts, so up to $150,000 from a married couple who are splitting gifts per beneficiary in one year as long as no other gifts are made over that time period. So you can lump the gifts basically for five years if it's in a 529. Mm -hmm. Now, the state that you live on is going to have its own rules. Mm -hmm. And so you have to check to see if there's any state deductibility with that. 
Sometimes the lumping is not going to create any more taxes. Sometimes if you make a small amount into there, you're maximizing that tax deduction anyway. But those are one of those calendar year things. So if you're going to do attention. this, do it before the end of the year. <laughs> right. All right. We hope those end of the year tax tips have been helpful as you're thinking about your own tax planning and strategies between now and the end of the year. And if you'd like to talk to Julie about some strategic tax planning, some strategic tax sensitive allocation, or how we go about collaborating with CPAs, then please reach out and give her a call. And we'd be happy to help you with some of your end of the year tax planning. Thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk.